0: MSW Media. This year's election will determine who draws the lines for both congressional and state legislative districts. So, what races decide who will draw those lines? And how can you get involved? Let's get on topic. Welcome to On Topic, a weekly in-depth look at a topic that helps us understand the week's news. My name's Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a legal analyst. And I'm joined by my friend Patty Vasquez, the host of The Patty Vasquez Show, who joins us regularly in this podcast. Before I bring in Patty, I want to thank our patrons who brought us this episode. With special thanks to Michelle Dew, Andrew Donnelly, James Fromier, Jay Gelhausen, Jamie Gordon, Patrick, Steve Hungsberg, Shana Wachinski, and an anonymous patron. You too can become a patron on our website, ontopicpodcast.com. Just click the support link at the top of the page. So, Patty, our last episode was a little unusual. We were talking about how to get involved this election season. It was really inspired by some of our patrons who were wanting to get more involved. And it it really had an impact. It was amazing to hear the stories of some of the people who listened to this episode who did get involved this election cycle already. And this episode is kind of a follow-on from that because – kind of a a, a high-ranking official in the Democratic Party reached out to me and was so um, intrigued by this that she wanted to reach out to our listeners about important races that they could get involved in.
1: You know, this is... A really remarkable moment in our country's history on so many levels, right? We obviously are in the middle of a pandemic. We are witnessing the uh, outcry for justice when it comes to Black Lives Matter. And people really want and believe in better. For our country so I, I i can imagine that people see november as this opportunity to really be heard and i think that they're right and i hope that, that this momentum continues because uh we have an opportunity to uh have a government that is more reflective and responsive to the needs of americans
0: absolutely you know it is a year in which so much is at stake from so many levels you know, i think If you asked uh, myself or any of our listeners probably a year or two ago, we would have said, oh, my God, so much is at stake here. Really, this next election is going to determine the future of our country. But, man, things are getting uh, worse uh, day by day, week by week, month by month between a pandemic and a financial crisis and, um, uh, you know, racial injustice and uh, unconstitutional actions. And of course, like today, we hear we have literally the president of the United States talking about trying to postpone the elections uh, uh. because the, the polls aren't going his way. Uh, something that even a, uh, the kind of right wing founder of the Federalist Society called a f- fascistic, uh, which is really something um, <laughs> wow. uh, he called for Trump's impeachment. This is a man who is defend- has been defending Trump up to this point. I will just say. You know, it is it more than ever. This election matters. Don't I will just say to our listeners, don't worry, we will get back to a lot of the stuff that we ordinarily do. Our next episode will be Mary Trump talking about all sorts of other things. But today, I, what we have what we're going to be talking about today are state legislative races around this around this around the country and why they matter. And And I will just say, you know, this is something that I did not know a lot about. And and candidly, uh, up until about 2016, I had never really thought much about. But I happened to run into somebody at the time who was just literally in a coffee shop, uh, who I ran into, didn't know who she was, who is who's going to be our guest today, who is the head of the, the executive director of the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee, who is in charge of all, you know, the sort of the committee that runs the, the Democratic Party state legislative efforts. And one thing, I guess, I, I, that I really have learned from her is that our our redistricting is almost entirely controlled by state legislatures. Uh, governors have a role as well. but state legislatures are a huge part of that. And I got to say, Patty, we've had multiple episodes talking about gerrymandering and the problems it causes. Really, at this point, given where the Supreme Court is at, Taking back state legislatures is the only way to combat that.
1: It really is. And, you know, I know we're not going to necessarily talk about Illinois because uh, (laughs) we're kind of uh, yeah, we're we're sort of an island unto ourselves. We have a supermajority of Democrats in our state legislature, but we're under control by somebody who is the most powerful speaker of the House in the country. And and I think that for other states, it is really important to pay attention. Otherwise, this can happen to you, whether it's conservative or liberal. Um, you really want to know, again, that your government at the state level is responsive and reflective. So these are important races to
0: everyone. Absolutely. Well, it's something you know about Patty as someone who ran <laughs> for state for a state representative. You know, it, it's a way in which you know people don't realize we often focus, including on this podcast, on national issues. But so much of our policy is controlled at the state level and it really can have a big impact in your life. You know, a lot of, for example, right now, I think we're all learning that whether or not people in your community are wearing masks or whether your kids are going to be safe in terms of when when schools reopen and how they reopen, that is all dependent on the, the local officials that you have in office.
1: Well, and that's why I got involved over a decade ago at the state level. I mean, I've always been uh, because of the household I grew up in. My father was a lifelong Republican and my mom is a a lifelong Democrat. And I was fascinated by the conversations that they had. And I think that's unique, right, where uh, there's a couple I mean, Plus, they got married in the '70s when mm-hmm. Republicans and Democrats actually did talk to each other, and apparently also get romantic. But, um, you know, I, I always believed in our government as a place for ideas, uh, and and uh, uh, you know, as a force to help people. And, and I have a son who is um, was born medically fragile, has special needs that, that uh, I, I wanted to fight for, not just him, but other families like mine. And, and I learned very quickly that you're right. Things that are important to us in very uh, immediate ways are determined at the state level more than anything else, whether it's your health care or your accessibility to housing or, you know, education and economic development. It really is important to pay attention to what goes on at the state
0: level. Absolutely. Well, now, look, let's bring in our guest. Jessica Post is the president of the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee, where she leads the national strategy for electing more state Democrats in winning legislative majorities. Under her leadership, the DLCC doubled its political spending to $35 million in 2018, and they flipped more than 430 legislative seats from red to blue since November 2016. So now let's bring in Jessica Post. Welcome to the podcast, Jessica. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: It's a delight to be here with you and Patty Renato. Thank you so much for having us.
0: Let's get started by, uh, you know, I got to tell you, a lot of people don't know what the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee is. Uh, I didn't know about it uh, uh, for quite some time. Can you just explain to us what it is that you do?
2: That's a great question. Yes. So at the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee, our job is to build democratic power in state legislatures. And we do that by helping recruit candidates across the country by making strategic investments to win state legislative seats. We focus most of our resources on the places that are closest to flipping red to blue and and flipping individual seats red to blue across the country. There's um, more than 7,000 state legislative seats in the country. will be involved in elections and about 600 of them this year, 600 key seats. And uh, there's about 5,000 races on the ballot. So we feel we feel really good. I think going into twenty the twenty twenty election cycle, of course, and um, we at the DLCC will spend um, more than fifty million dollars this election cycle, helping elect Democrats to state legislature across the country.
0: Wow, that's a lot of money, uh, a lot of responsibility. <laughs> so you're sort of you guys seem sort of like the the DNC or D Triple or the D Triple C, but for state legislatures.
2: That's exactly right. We're the official party committee for state legislatures. Uh, we're a non-federal campaign committee, so essentially the, the four big campaign committees outside of the DNC are, um, of course, the DCCC, the DSCC, the, the Senatorial Campaign Committee, Democratic Governors Association, and then us at uh, the DLCC.
0: So why is it like, Republicans have a pretty significant majority in state legislatures. Why is that? Why, why do they have such a, an advantage there?
2: Well, back in 2010, Republicans didn't see a path back to the White House. They also didn't see a path back to control of the United States Senate, interestingly, at that time. Democrats had 60 votes in the U.S. Senate. We had had the White House. Demographic shifts were happening and Republicans thought the only way that they could maintain control on a lever of power is by keeping the United States House of Representatives. And so they realized if they made investments in in state legislative races, Karl Rove said we can spend $35 million of non-federal campaign money and we can save $125 million over time. He also said like he who controls redistricting controls Congress in 35 states. State legislatures draw the lines, it was draw the congressional district lines and also the state legislative lines. Back in 2010, it was even more than that. So Republicans ran this $30 million strategy called Project Red Map to take back state legislatures all across the country. And when the Republicans won, they changed, they redrew the congressional lines to benefit them. They gerrymandered them. They redrew the state legislative lines to benefit them. And they also uh did things to dismantle the Democratic Party, like put restrictions on public sector unions, they moved pieces of legislation around to restrict voting rights, and they really changed the face of power in the state. The Republicans got a really good return on investment by investing at the state legislative level. And so that's thus been their focus. And when I came back to DLCC, um, and I know Renata, we met at Democratic Convention in 2016, I said, um, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure we're financially competitive with the Republicans. They spent about $45 on elections last election cycle, and we've continued to stay pretty competitive with them um, with the goal of $50 million. And so a lot of what we've had to do is just make sure that people care about state legislatures and try to shift the perception and and get people to really understand what state legislatures do because a, a lot of folks on the national scene don't.
0: Yeah, so I mean, it's a bit of a backstory. I, I when I met when I met you, Jessica, I didn't know anything about what the DLCC was. Didn't know the I didn't know who you were. I didn't know the work you did. And I have to say, since that time, we've made a lot of progress in that area. The 2018 election, very significant victories in a number of different states. But what, can you can you explain exactly why it is that, for example, in 2010? It was that that Rove made that made that pitch to have that investment. And now 2020 is also a pivotal year.
2: Yeah. In, in 2011, the district line can both congressional and state legislative district lines were redrawn. So 2010. So every year after the census, the census happens. And obviously that's that's a whole other story. But mm-hmm. the census happens. Uh, We'll see how it happens this year, but in 2010, the census operated normally, uh, folks filled out their census data, and then legislative districts uh, and congressional districts become um, malapportioned because legislative and congressional districts both have to be a particular population. So as people move around, the population of the areas change, and so thus the district lines need to be redrawn. And so state legislators go into legislative session in in the year after a census or the second year after a census, and by the election year after the census, they need to make sure that there are new district lines representing the population changes of the last 10 years. And so Rove realized, look, if I can... Manipulate the districts to benefit Republicans. Then, for the next decade, all have control of Congress, and and that's nearly what they did have for the next decade. They had a near decade long grasp on Congress, and that in 2010 it was a really tough year for Democrats. We lost a lot of things. It was President Obama's first midterm election, so the Republicans like to say preparation met opportunity. For us in 2020, we have the reverse of an opportunity. We have Vice President Biden at the top of the ticket, polling very well we have a great opportunity to flip state legislative chambers across the country. We actually say it's a 20-year election because it's the first time in 20 years that we'll have a presidential election on the redistricting year. In the next 20 years, you know, I'll be 60. Hopefully, I'll be retired in northern Florida, running an ice cream shop. So really, 20 years are on the line right now of uh, congressional and legislative districts voting rights education funding and reproductive choice and truly everything else that's moved to the states in terms of political
0: power. You know, that's an important point. So just so everyone's clear, you know, the census occurs every 10 years. So it's 2010, 2020. Redistricting is going to happen next year in all of these states. And it, it, it occurs in a state by state level. So, for example, in my home state here of Illinois, where Patty and I are, It's the Illinois state government that is going to control redistricting, even for federal races. Very important. So, for example, I, um, you know, I uh, when I was a federal clerk, I clerked uh, for a federal judge in Texas. At that time, the Republicans were massively gerrymandering Texas to make sure that Republicans got extra seats there. In other states, it has uh, in certain states, it's gone the other direction. So can you explain to us what who controls the redistricting process at the state level? And does does that vary from state to state?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. No one in Washington, D.C. draws their own congressional district. It's all of this is done inside state capitals. In 35 states, state legislators in during legislative session is like a piece of legislation that goes to the floor of the state house in, in Springfield or in Salem or Augusta, the lines go to state legislators. So they essentially draw these lines, um, these district boundaries, physical district boundaries, where um, at the congressional and the state legislative level. And so in, in many states it happens, um, state legislators get on a redistricting committee. They review different proposals for maps. In most cases, Uh, They have a map making specialist. They get the reapportionment data and then proceed to draw these lines. In some cases, a nonpartisan commissions have been put into place. In Michigan, there was a successful voters not politicians effort, and so now a nonpartisan redistricting commission will draw the lines in Michigan. That's also happening in Colorado. That's how it is in Arizona. California has a nonpartisan commission. Washington has a commission. So it varies from state to state. Um, But you know, in in these states, in the 35 states, they can it's a lot at stake. And so in states like North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas, Georgia, the state legislators and Florida, the state legislators draw the lines. And so these are big, big states with lots of congressional districts. And there's a lot at stake this fall
0: Yeah, in our home state uh, of Illinois, state legislatures, uh, the state legislature here draws the lines as well.
2: That's right. And there's a, a gubernatorial veto. Um, the governor can veto maps. In some states, the governor doesn't have that power. So for example, in North Carolina, um, the, of course, there's a Democratic governor there, Roy Cooper. He's up for re-election this year. He can't veto the maps. So it's very important that we flip one chamber of the North Carolina legislature for us to have a seat at the table in redistricting. The, it really varies state by state, and it's crazy because it affects federal elections. Um, But that and then this is maybe off topic, but that and the ability to allocate presidential electors are uniquely given to state legislators, both redistricting and the right to allocate presidential electors.
1: I'm wondering, how do you make inroads in areas that are traditionally conservative? I know this is a pretty unique year, but I'm guessing it's still an uphill battle in so many races.
2: <laughs> You're not wrong, Patty. It, it is tough. I, we've, it, the LCC, we've had a lot of success. We have, we have state legislators in um, Democratic state legislators that have won in more than 400 Trump districts. We actually just had a huge special election down in Kentucky where we flipped a seat red to blue. It was a 27 point swing from Trump. A Democrat hadn't been elected there in 25 years. This is in the Jefferson County area outside of Louisville. It was an emergency room doctor. So we do this a few ways. We had a lot of success in special elections in 2017 and 2019. The first way is to just recruit a candidate who fits the district. And so often that means someone who has been an advocate for schools uh, or an advocate for mental health or roads, whatever is sort of the big issue of the district. We try to have our candidates run on local issues. And then we try to find someone that fits the community. Up in Wisconsin, we won a special election with a woman named Patty Schnachter, She is a county medical examiner and she also is a bear hunter and a Harley rider and a Democrat. So it, in each municipality, we try to find folks that really represent the area of, of each locality. And as a result, um, we get good candidates. And we also say lean into local issues, like tell us why you're running. And, and it's not always about big esoteric national issues. It's often about something like, you know, as, as important as class sizes. And of course, COVID will be a big thing this year as well. So I think we've had, we continue to have success. We actually have a lot of legislators and rural, Democratic legislators sitting in rural districts that, that really ran on um, the local message that fit that district.
0: You know, a lot of our listeners are in blue states. They're in states where they feel like it is hard for them to make a difference at a local level. What, what is it that, if you're talking to those listeners right now, what would you say to them about why they should care about what's going on in state legislatures, both in their state and in other states?
2: Most of the things that affect your day-to-day life are decided by your state legislature. The federal government has actually a pretty limited jurisdiction. If you think about the quality of your schools, your roads, the ability to have access to reproductive choice in your area the district you live in or the way that you can vote, all of those things are determined by state legislatures. Many of your listeners may have seen the long lines in Wisconsin during the Wisconsin uh, state Supreme Court election and folks get it contracting COVID-19 to get their ballot or standing outside masks for hours, contracting COVID-19 to get their ballot counted in that election. So the way elections are conducted in states are primarily driven by state policy, state legislatures. State legislatures have the ability to fund elections at a higher level, and we know Mitch McConnell's not going to do that right now, I mean, hopefully, but it seems like that's not coming through the Senate. Um, they And they have the ability to, um, to, like I said, draw the district boundaries for the control of Congress. So if you want a President Biden, uh, if you want a President Biden to be able to uh, really implement his agenda, then you want a President Biden to have a fairly drawn Congress And then you also want people in the states that could implement federal policies. We have many people that still haven't implemented full Affordable Care Act exchanges in states. They haven't expanded Medicaid in their states. And truly, this is causing the spread of COVID-19. It's causing poor uh, voting rights and potentially poor voting outcomes in states. And, and, you know, we've seen sort of what that could be. And then it's also causing um, a, a Congress that has folks like like Louis Gomart and, and Mark Meadows and, and just people like uh, uh, Billy Long from my home state of Missouri, just people mm-hmm. that really are not fit to serve in sitting in Congress.
0: Yeah, you know, you raise an interesting point about how elections are run. And I, I, will, t- I will tell you, we've had an, a, a multiple uh, episodes of this podcast on that subject. A lot of our listeners are really concerned about being able to vote safely. And so what, what are we doing this year? to ensure that voters in states are able to vote safely and, you know, so the, and to try to combat voter suppression efforts as well.
2: It's a great question. And the first thing our legislators do when we flip a state legislative chamber, red to blue is improve voting. And that's something that happened in Virginia. We flipped state legislative chambers in 2019. I'm sitting in Virginia and it's a state that immediately put automatic voter registration into place, allowed people to vote by mail, and is providing additional funding for local elections. They did that in their special legislative session. So this has been a big priority of uh, a lot of the, of the 10 chambers that we flipped red to blue since Trump was elected. Those legislators have gotten in and they've made significant changes. And we'll do our le- democratic legislators will do even more if we are able to flip. And I think we will be able to, to flip more chambers in the 2020 election cycle. So a few things I mean, one, um, the most important thing is having adequate funding for elections. And that can happen at the, depending upon which state you live in, it can happen from federal funding, state level funding, or municipal level funding. The big concern is that um, ballots will be processed um, late. And as a result, some of these mail ballots may be rejected, um, whether it's for lack of a, a signature on the outside envelope, or, you know, you're probably familiar with Fair Fight and, some of the four pillars put forward by voting rights attorney Mark Elias, lack of a witness signature, um, or the fact that you simply have to pay postage, um, those are all things or or not be able to get your ballot with an excuse. Unfortunately, if you live in a lot of red states, there are a lot of restrictions around how and when you can vote. Some of those things are changing, but you really should look online on your state secretary of state's website or vote.org, one of these other Sorts of um, hubs to try to figure out what are the voting laws in your state, and and really apply for your vote by mail ballot as early as you can, and get that done, get that in to, to make sure ensure that it it um, meets the deadline and is counted and arrives. Um, in many cases, it needs to arrive by five or six p.m. on election day. Sometimes it needs to be in the hands sort of during those hours. So tr- do everything you can to mail that ballot in early. Um, and then otherwise, um, early voting is another great option. If it's available in your state, it might allow you to socially distance a little bit more than you might be in line at the normal polling place. So looking into early voting and finding out if that's an option in your state is, is a good thing that voters could do to
1: protect themselves as they head to the polls this year. Do you have any uh, thoughts on individual races? Like one of our listeners is wondering what the outlook is for Pennsylvania.
2: Oh, yeah. We yeah, I'd love to talk about that. So in Pennsylvania, um, we feel really good about the ability to take back the state house. We need to flip nine seats red to blue to do it. it it's I think looking very good. We've got great candidates running um, for both the Pennsylvania House and Senate. We have a lot of women veterans running across Pennsylvania. Uh, there's a woman Pam Vino. We won a big special election in Western Pennsylvania in 2019. She's a she's a 25 year Navy veteran. She commanded. Uh, Navy and Marine soldiers. She's running for re-election. Um, and then we have an Army translator actually running in uh, more of the eastern side of Pennsylvania. Is If you want to check out uh, some of our candidates, you can check out races.dlcc.org. That shows some of the candidates that we're interested in. If you're interested in specific states or specific candidates, we feel good about the ability to flip the Pennsylvania House and then also the Pennsylvania State Senate. So both are looking very good.
0: So what are some of the other states that you're looking at and targeting this year?
2: Yeah, Absolutely. From going west to east, uh, the Arizona – and this may surprise some of your listeners – the Arizona State House and State Senate are extremely competitive. The maps were drawn by a nonpartisan redistricting commission. We only need two seats to flip the, to flip the State House, three seats to flip to flip the State Senate. So that's super exciting. Uh, Mark Kelly obviously is, is running a great campaign, and early voting laws are very progressive in Arizona, so we feel good about that state. Uh, going to the east in Minnesota, we only need to flip two seats to flip the Minnesota State Senate red to blue. We haven't had a shot at that state legislative chamber. It wasn't on the ballot in 2016. The whole chamber, sorry, in 2018, the whole chamber is up now here in 2020. We have a great shot to flip it. and That could be our next Democratic trifecta of state government, where Democrats control the governor, the state house, and the state senate. And then going south, Iowa, we only need to flip four seats red to blue to flip the Iowa state house. Democratic congressional candidates won all of those seats so we should be able to flip them. Kim Reynolds approval is in the absolute tank, the governor, Republican governor of Iowa. She only has an approval rating of 28 percent, which is one of the worst approvals I've seen of an incumbent governor. She's really mishandled the COVID-19 situation in the state. And then many of your listeners know Teresa Greenfield's running a really good campaign against Joni Ernst in Iowa. So great possibility to flip the Iowa State House. And that would give us a seat at the table to maintain nonpartisan redistricting in Iowa. And then in Michigan, we only need to flip four seats to flip the Michigan State House. Governor Gretchen Whitmer, the Democratic governor there, has been very popular and has a ton of approval in our handling of COVID-19. Great possibility to flip that state legislature. Pennsylvania, we talked about. Both of the chambers are looking very good. And uh, Pennsylvania and Michigan, of course, great states for Vice President Biden. He's really leading the ticket for us there in those states. And then going south to North Carolina, as I said earlier, Governor Cooper can't veto those redistricting maps. So what we need is one branch of government in North Carolina to have a seat at the table for redistricting. The North Carolina House, we only need to flip six seats. And the North Carolina Senate, we only need to flip five seats, red to blue. Um, And then we're closely monitoring states like Georgia and Florida um, that have a lot of seats needed, but certainly as we expand our target list. And then the other big state is Texas, which we think is very flippable. We need nine seats to flip the Texas State House. Beto O'Rourke won all of those seats on that path. And we, there are great candidates down there uh, running incredible campaigns and outraising their Republican opponents. And so, all in all, that's 48 seats to flip 10 state legislative chambers, red to blue, across the country. And we'd have an enormous impact on redistricting. This would affect more than 200 congressional seats. If we were able to flip all of those chambers red to blue, we'd at least have a seat at the table, which would be very exciting. So we're definitely excited about our potential to make these changes. And and so much good public policy would pass in the states. Uh, One of the things we've seen is the states have really become a backstop um, with this very conservative U.S. Supreme Court We've seen states like Washington and New York put protections for Roe v. Wade into state law and birth control provisions, and protect LGBTQ equality at the state legislative level. And those are things that we're seeing being written into state constitutions with a concern that this conservative Supreme Court may roll back some of the progress that we've made over the past few decades in um, legal precedent and, and legal cases in America.
1: You brought up some really great reasons, actually, right there about why it's important to vote at the state level, because so many people don't even realize uh, the importance of making sure that they people know who their legislators are. How do you invigorate those voters? Uh, I, you know, I, I typically tell people to go to OpenStates.org to even find out who their legislator is in their neighborhood. What kind of steps do you take? That's such a good point. I- We've been
2: on a long
1: campaign at DLTC to
2: even get people that are involved and volunteer on campaigns right to to care about the state legislatures. And you know that's, that most a lot of local democratic activists did but what we would find is some of these folks that lived in these blue islands just weren't as interested in the state legislatures. So there's a couple things that we have to do. One is um, sometimes people don't vote at the bottom of the ballot uh, in down ballot elections because they just don't know the candidate. So a lot of what we've done uh, is working with candidates to whether, you know, it used to be we really encourage candidates to door knock, not so much of that's happening now, of course, but to host Zoom town halls, to do, to make phone calls, to handwrite postcards to their neighbors, to really get out and, and say to their neighbors, like, hey, in this time, um, we really need you to go out and vote. And people are much more, because they're at home, but people are really understanding the stakes of state government right now because the federal government has failed us on every level during this COVID crisis, and so as a result, um, people are really looking to their state governments, it, whether it's their governor or their local legislator, for information. So there's a real way that both our um, incumbent Democratic state legislators and our candidates can can get out, can get their names out, and have conversations. I also think voting by mail is helpful so people can just give give a candidate's name a Google when they see the, the candidate's name on the ballot and, and figure out a little bit more about them. Um, I think we'll also potentially send people kind of voter guides um, to let people know, Hey, here's, here's your legislator. Um, and here's what they've stood for, or you, whether it's a Republican or your democratic legislator, just providing people with a little more information about the stakes. And, and frankly, some of the things that are in front of state legislatures, um, Which really affect the day to day lives of of folks in the states so much more than people I think often know.
0: You know, one advantage that I think Republicans have had is they seem like they've really focused a lot on developing leadership at a local level, which ultimately it's almost like a farm system. I think that bubbles up and creates a lot of strength throughout their entire party. Is that is that do you do you think that the that, that our party needs to concern itself more with developing? Uh, you know, strength in terms of local party organization and and local leadership uh, running for offices like state representative.
2: Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I think like we it, there's two things. One, you know, as we develop leaders, especially with can increased campaign finance costs, really having someone spend some time in the state legislature and develop out their network. Reduces some of the class barriers to running for Congress or running for the U.S. Senate. You know, we have so many examples of people like President Obama or um, Senator Tammy Baldwin, and others that started. Stacey Abrams, um, who used to serve on our DLCC board when she was the minority leader of the Georgia State House, folks that started in state legislatures that now are our national names. Sherrod Brown. Um, Jeff Merkley, John Tester. So there's folks all around the country that really started their careers at our level of the ballot, um, and it, it developed them. And so we've we've had a number of former presidents and U.S. senators start at our level of the ballot and and really develop their skills. So I, I definitely think this is something the Democratic Party needs to be investing in more, first, because of the, the gr- great impact on the electoral prospects of of Democrats up and down the ballot to make sure that we're considering voting rights and redistricting as, as we think about our long-term strategies, but also to make sure that we're giving all local leaders a chance to develop. One good recent example, Congresswoman Abby Finkenauer represents Dubuque in Iowa One, She's you know, she was the daughter of a, a welder. She wasn't from um, a wealthy personal network, but she ran for state representative and she got elected very young to the state Iowa State House. And then she was able to use that as a platform to run for Congress. And now she's an incredible Congresswoman representing eastern Iowa. Um, and so it, it really takes folks like that um, a little bit more to get them up, up the rungs of power. But that's exactly who we need serving in Congress. People maybe that didn't come from significant means, but really understand the – the. I mean, she carries her dad's sweatshirt that's been you know burned up by um, – his time welding. So there's like holes burned through it from when he was on the work site. And um, she remembers that every day as she's in Congress. And that was you know, a great example of someone who came up through state legislatures um, and might not have had that opportunity to just jump straight to Congress.
0: Wow, that's a great story. What What about what What do you say to people who are thinking about someday running for office? You know, we've had some uh, not only uh, my, my uh, Patty, my co-host, run for office, but we've had some of our frequent guests like Mimi Roca, and you know, some of our listeners have thought about getting involved, even if it's for school board or or for. Uh, a local race and county board. What what do you say? I'm sure you deal a lot with people who are running for office for the first time. or are thinking about that. What what do you say to to listeners who are considering getting more involved and and actually putting themselves out there?
2: I would say if you're thinking about running for office, you should run. You're more qualified than you think. You're especially more qualified because you've lived in this community. You have a story to tell. Often, before I was at DLCC, I, I recruited women to run for office at Emily's List, and these incredibly qualified women would say to me, I don't think I'm qualified, and we would joke that um, that sometimes a man would look in the mirror and see a congressman in the morning, but it took us so much to, to recruit women to run for office, and I think that is getting quite a bit better, but I would say consider running. you If you know the issues in your community or if you're willing to go and listen and, and spend time and really have a sincere desire to represent your community and make change, do it. Uh, certainly, it is uh, it is tough. It's sometimes not rewarding, um, but ultimately, it's very rewarding. And I think Patty can sort of speak to that. But it's it's worth it. We need more people um, from diverse backgrounds running for office, and, and that's how democracy should work.
1: It, it is how it should work, but how do you, uh, you know, with the work that you do, help those who run against that sort of, you know, in Illinois, obviously we have the machine everywhere. You have special interests. I mean, the biggest uphill battle for any candidate is really getting uh, the money. Um, And so I agree with you. If, you If you ever have the urge, you absolutely should run. But how do you help those get over the hurdle in particular when it comes to the money aspect?
2: That's such a good question. Yeah, one of the things, I came back to the LCC from Emily's List in 2016, and I had seen, I was the field director at the LCC in the 2010 cycle, and so I saw uh, these losses, and it was in part because the Republicans outspent us three to one. And so the first thing I was determined to do was, as I said earlier, to just make sure that we were financially competitive. But the other thing that I realized was, um, in order to allow more people to have the opportunity to run for office, to For us, that meant getting the candidates that we thought would be really good to run. We needed to make sure that we helped build digital fundraising operations so folks could send fundraising emails and also to make sure that people knew how to call through their networks to raise adequate funds. And then also we could provide support um, if the grassroots funds were not as adequate uh, for us to be able to provide infusions of resources into state to get people over the line. And so right now we have, and probably this is happening currently in some time zone, but we have teams of regional finance advisors uh, from our campaign services department who travel the country and help candidates with call time, help candidates set up finance operations. And one thing that maybe is encouraging to your listeners is it is getting better. Um, More and more folks from across the country gave to congressional candidates, they used a lot of democratic national donors used to just be very interested in the US Senate now that's moving down ballot a lot of grassroots donors who can give $2, $5 are starting to give to state legislative candidates and starting to give to congressional candidates so it's it used to be um you had to be much more personal means and um, be able to raise i, I would three to four hundred thousand dollars from your personal network to run for congress i think a lot of that is changing and i that is encouraging in part because the democratic grassroots and, and national democratic donors have gotten so much more interested in in helping support candidates as they go down the ballot so i'd say if you work hard if, if you're willing to to call through your personal network, at least for a, a 5 to $25 check, depending upon the level of your ballot you're, you're running for, you should try it out. Um, It's hard work, but uh, people will want to invest in you. And also people want change. And so that's part of the reason we've seen such great fundraising numbers, even during this um, economic crisis in states like Texas and North Carolina, because folks from around the country and in their states are really stepping up to make contributions to state legislative candidates.
0: So Jessica, you know, we often on this on this podcast are talking about news of the week, what's going what's going on, what happened this week, how can we understand bigger issues in the world. But we've really tried to focus a little bit on this election in part because this is an opportunity for all of us to change our country and change our communities. You know, we are in a in a world right now that many of us are pretty unhappy with for all sorts of reasons, and people want to know how they can make a difference. And what I what I'd love to know is for our listeners, if if a, there's somebody who's listening who's who says I want to get involved, I want to make a difference. What can they do this year, over the next hundred days, to make a difference in legislative uh, races in their state and also in other states?
2: Well, races go. Uh, uh at the state legislative level, are just much less extensive than races at other levels of the ballot. So if folks have a dollar to give or $2 to give, it it goes so much further at our level of the ballot. They can check out dlcc.org or races.dlcc.org if they prefer to give directly to a state legislative candidate. Um, Money goes so much further um, at our level of the ballot. But I'd also encourage people to – they can reach out to us or they can reach out to their – state Democratic Party to get involved. If they want to volunteer on state legislative races, they could check out some of our opportunities on our site um, to volunteer in either, let's say they're in a blue state, but they really want to help in Pennsylvania. You could make phone calls for a candidate in Pennsylvania or share a donation link with your network and even raising um, small amounts of money, a few hundred dollars again goes so much further at our level of the ballot. Um, if they wanted to text their network to encourage folks to get involved with a, a race to sort of organize volunteer banking. That's a great way to do it. Um, our partners at Sister District to organize people from uh, blue areas to adopt a state legislative district in, in swing states, swing state legislative district. So that's another good asset, sisterdistrict.org um, is their website. So those are, I think, good ways to get involved. And I'd also encourage you to build a relationship with your state legislator In many cases, if you really are passionate about an issue, many of these state legislative campaign teams are are small. So in Delaware, for example, a state legislator once told me uh, he wasn't for medicinal marijuana and then he had a... This is several years ago, and then he had a campaign volunteer that it it was essential to, and he changed his position. So you really can have big influence as well um, on democracy in many of these small states. We used to say if you think democracy is broken, you should go um, knock on doors in Montana in these state legislative races because truly the grassroots still is happening at our level the ballot and in these small districts in Montana and Iowa and, and New Hampshire. You really see um, good old-fashioned, I mean, when we can finally evict a door knock and good old-fashioned democracy with people, really neighbors talking to neighbors. And for me, that, that's why I love this work. Um, th- that shoe leather still really matters that I love all the ballot and now it's phone calling, but it's it's truly rewarding. And I, I think people might feel an outsized impact um, because they could play such a major role and, and maybe even use some of their skills to help a state legislator with their website, et cetera. So, Uh, State legislative candidate. So I'd encourage folks to get involved. I think they'd find it really
1: rewarding.
0: Yeah, and I will just say to our listeners um, many of you know me talking about national issues, but I have donated to multiple state representative races this year, I've donated to county board races this year. Uh, I am involved locally um, in races that I care about for people who I know where a $100 contribution is a lot of money uh, or spending a day going door to door or making phone calls uh, can make a real big difference. Patty uh, did that going door to door in her own race. Uh, uh, Isn't that right, Patty?
1: Oh, yeah. And uh, and by the way, Renato, also incredibly grateful for all the help that you gave me. Uh, But you're right about the idea that, uh, you know, when a legislator knows personal stories, uh, they really do bring that to the floor of their chamber. So thank you so much for getting that across to folks, because I can't uh, impress upon them how crucial that is.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jessica. I really appreciate it. I think it's going to give our listeners a, a, a new avenue in which they can get involved this election cycle. Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Topic. Please subscribe to this podcast, go to your app and review the podcast, and join us for our next episode. I'm Renato Mariotti. Until next time, let's stay On Topic.